Hey everybody, long time no podcast. We're happy to be back. This week we're talking about The Babadook. This is a 2014 horror film that came out a while ago, but we are really, really happy that we watched it now. So thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. So during the pandemic, because we can't go to the movies, we've been watching... We usually go once a week. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And now, I mean, there are a lot of movies that are coming online that you can watch or stream at home. But we've been trying to find older movies or things that we haven't watched in a while. And a lot of the movies that we've been choosing aren't things that we would normally watch. We watched the X-Men movies. Um, We've been watching a lot of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which we probably would have watched anyway. But we're watching a lot of things that maybe we don't normally choose. I think it might be because we have a lot of time on our hands. But also it's because... We're living in a really weird time right now, and I think it's kind of fun to, especially with, like, X-Men movies, or we've been watching a lot of scary movies, um, I think it's kind of fun to go outside of our world a little bit, especially when we need it. It's almost a little bit of comfort. So we've been watching movies, scary movies, that we wouldn't normally watch, and we decided, because we're not, like, avid scary movie watchers, we googled like best best scary movies on Rotten Tomatoes and we came up with The Babadook which is a movie it's a scary movie on Rotten Tomatoes as a 98% which is a really really high score especially for a horror film and I wanted to watch it because I read the blurb the blurb said on Rotten Tomatoes says The Babadook relies on real horror rather than cheap jump scares and both a heartfelt, genuinely moving story to boot. And I think Rotten Tomatoes will say it better than I probably could, but I think this is a really, really important movie that's worth watching, especially in a time where we're all looking for a little bit of comfort, maybe in places we don't normally look. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we're not people who traditionally, I wouldn't say love scary movies, but... This one is definitely, this one transcends the genre, I would say, that <laughs> there's definitely deeper, more profound things going on in this movie than just, you know, your typical being scared of a monster. One of the things that I really like about this movie, and one of the things that I noticed almost immediately, is the aesthetics of the set, or the house that they're in, especially it's covered in all of these different shades of dark blue grayish blue paint and all throughout the movie these colors are everywhere the lampshades are dark even the laundry basket that Amelia carries throughout the house is tinted a kind of grayish or dirty blue color whoever designed this set did a marvelous job with paying attention to every detail they use light in this movie in lots of really interesting ways as well mm-hmm. you want to talk about it no you can go okay so i think the most difficult part of this movie is understanding whether or not the things that are happening are in the day or the night so Amelia has a hard time sleeping and early on in the movie she goes she takes her son to the doctor And she's having this, you know, she's crying. She's obviously very upset. And she's talking about how she hasn't slept in weeks. She says that it's because of 
her son's abnormalities, his not sleeping and his waking up in the night. But it's really hard to tell if it is the son or if she's just kind of mentally distressed. And so in the, you know, it's hard to tell when things are happening in the movie, if she is in a dream or if she's awake and they kind of, the director leaves some of those scenes up to your interpretation. You can decide if you think Mm -hmm. the movie is happening in a dream or if it's happening in reality. And it's very disconcerting for a viewer, but it's also really, really confusing for Amelia. And you see her lots of times feeling like she's waking up in one moment when she's still in a dream or or vice versa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they do a lot of cool stuff cutting between yeah things that seem dreamlike and seem and seem like they can't be real and i like some of the transitions that they did between the two like they did two different times two or maybe three times they did that scene where she's somehow she's like floating in the air and she Mm -hmm. slowly came down and landed on her bed i don't know how they did that but it looks so cool that was one of my favorite things they did that a couple times where she ends up sleeping on her bed and then like you're in that still shot of her on her bed and she wakes up and you're like how did they do that and make it look like one real shot yeah so that was wild but yeah they did a lot of like cool i wouldn't even call them special effects just a lot of cool tricks and different things editing wise that yeah just really disturb you and like add like i said add just add layers to the the terror and the confusion yeah it this movie happens over a couple of days. Which yeah, I only think, a couple of days. Yeah, yeah, over a couple of days. And they stay, or at least they try to stay really tight to the couple days, like, time frame. Mm-hmm. And I think the most interesting thing that they do is in certain scenes that are really, really scary, it's like full daylight. And yeah. I think it takes a lot of... I don't know. It takes a lot of like bravery if you're making a horror film not to make everything dark. Mm-hmm. Choosing to make things horrible in the light is I think really difficult, but also it can be really really effective. And mm. in this movie it was especially effective. There mm-hmm. it was scary. And I think we should talk about the sound design because yeah. the sounds in this movie are so bizarre. They're so distorted. They use um, a lot of ringing sounds. Even when things aren't scary, there's really they. I feel like they stay really tight towards whatever's happening. So yeah, you feel the tenseness in your body, and you don't even realize why. And then until you notice, it's the music that's like, yeah, it's slowly been droning louder and louder, and it's like making you tense up, and you don't even notice you're doing it. And the sound, the music, sometimes will well, a lot of times coordinates with the turn of the actor or the turn of the shot or even right. just some light coming in through a window. Something changes and then suddenly, oh, the music stops and you didn't even realize it was on and going, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. I, It's hard not to give a lot about this movie away because mm-hmm. there are some really obvious parallels that you could make that I that make the story so compelling. But because we don't want to give too much of the ending away, especially if you haven't seen it, I'm not sure how how much to say. Well, I think I don't think it's giving too much away to say that the monster, the Babadook, could be very easily seen as a 
I don't know if there's a better word than metaphor. I'll just say metaphor as a metaphor for grief itself. Like it's very obvious that that's a, that's a possibility that the whole movie's kind of that's what it's about. I mean, the the mother is constantly being told by people around her, "Your husband died 7 years ago. When are you going to get over it?" When are you going to move on? You and your son are obviously not doing well because, like we were saying before, everything's falling apart, right? She's calling out of her job. The son has to get pulled out of school. And everyone thinks, oh, you're just, your husband died and you still haven't gotten over it. And that's what's causing you to just go spiral. While meantime, they're like fighting, her and her son are privately fighting this monster in their house. I think it's, you know, I think it'd be easy to, to say that, yeah, the monster really symbolizes the grief in a couple of different ways. I think the isolation, her and her son are the only two going through this. We don't see a grandma, a aunt or uncle. There's no other family. It's just her and the son have lost their husband and their father, and they're very isolated by it. They're stuck in their house. She even says at one point, Sammy, I think you know, we got to get out of the house. We've just been in the house too long. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one big part of it is the isolation that people feel when they're grieving. They feel like no one else knows what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about all the blue. Blue is obviously like generally associated with sadness. Um, and I think, again, without giving too much away, the way the movie ends, I think, really puts the nail in the coffin for me as far as that being like thinking about how grief functions in our lives when we go through something like that and how it's kind of always going to be with us. You know, that that's as much as I will say. But I think <laughs> it it works really well with the, the end, very end of the film. And I think what surprised me the most about this movie is that I was scared for a lot of the movie. And I am I don't watch scary movies very often. So I feel like when I watch a scary movie, I'm there to be scared. But at the end of the movie, I wasn't scared anymore, I think. It's a movie mm-hmm. that makes you, well, I I wanted to just like, I don't know, cry, but not cry because I was sad. I think it was more of a, more of a cry because of how they resolved what the, they've been through. the, what they've been through and the tension of the movie. It was such a beautiful ending, unlike Hereditary. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. 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 It was such a beautiful ending. It it really was moving. And I think if you are skeptical of scary movies or if you don't like watching them or or whatever, I think this is a movie worth watching. I think it's worth being scared a couple times. And if it really freaks you out, you can just, you know, leave the lights on or watch it in the daytime. But I think this the story of the movie is so compelling that if you don't see it, you're doing yourself a disservice. Okay, so one other thing that made me love this movie is the resemblance from the, I guess what you would call the monster, quote unquote, the monster of this movie with my favorite indie game on Nintendo Switch. It's a game called Pinstripe and it follows the story of, actually just like this movie, a a parent and a, well in in the game it's a father and a daughter and the daughter is being kind of haunted by this demon evil monster thing and it looks very similar to the monster in the Babadook and I could not stop thinking about it because this game the game is called Pinstripe it's really short I think I beat it in a in a week because it's just not a very long game 
But if you have Nintendo Switch, you should check out Pinstripe. It's an indie game. It's probably like 10 bucks, 15 bucks. And uh, it's just amazing. It's it's looks very different than any video game I've ever played. It looks, I wouldn't say cartoonish, but it's like an old, it looks like old timey. And I don't know, you saw me play it. How would you describe it? Not steampunk. That, that seems like too, that's like make, oversimplifying it. It just has a very unique design i love yeah i so i did not play it i just watched it uh, but i think it's i mean lots of the characters have really long skinny bodies and there's lots of kind of contortion with shape and it has it's a story-based game so it has a story throughout and these different animations in the story that are really some of them are really scary which surprised Mm -hmm. me i've never been you know, scared watching somebody else play a video game before. Yeah. <laughs> but I loved, but I really weirdly got into just watching it because of the way that it looks. It has a really, really good aesthetic. The style is really cool. It's dark. And also the game has, it leads you down a path. So you kind of start in one place and you go straight through the whole story. It has a chronological feel to it. And I I don't know. I thought that would the it was really smart if you like story based games or journey based games or whatever they're they are. But it is really cool. And I'm just realizing now. Oh my gosh! Even more than I, in just this moment, I realized how how similar these are. Pinstripe. The story of Pinstripe is also centered around centered around the grief of losing a spouse. The main character in that yeah. in the game lost his wife, to, and the, the child lost her mom. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, but I wonder I if think... the makers of that yeah. game saw this movie and wanted to make a game like it that's crazy yeah i think and what it's an indie game but i think you bought it for like five dollars yeah it's very cheap yeah so, so it's definitely, definitely worth, worth playing, playing if you have a switch yeah. and if you have time yeah which yeah. all yeah. of us have time right yeah. now hey y'all thanks for listening to our review of the Duke. hope you check it out like we said it's i think like four dollars on amazon prime so definitely check it out we think you'll love it. Join us next week. We're going to talk about the original tragedy of 2020, Justin Bieber's new album that came out in February just before the second pandemic hit, which was the novel Coronavirus. We'll be talking about that and all the other albums and artists that we're listening to while we cut our own hair and eat pizza rolls for the third time in a week. See you then. <laughs>